We are grateful to be at the beginning of a new fall season. And as we heard from Lori, we are gonna be focusing this year on that wonderful theme of doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God, which will be one of our passages today, reflecting on this great call to arms that we hear from the prophet Micah. But before we read that text, we find in chapter five of Genesis, these words beginning at the 21st verse. Hear the word of God. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after the birth of Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. And then, as was mentioned from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. The prophet speaks and says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Oh, he has told you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we ask, O oh Lord, that these words to come will point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name, amen. The list is long of moments and events in my life of which I am not proud. One of those took place many, many years ago when I was serving my annual stint as a guest preacher up at the Jersey Shore. Parenthetically, when you live in New Jersey, the shore is called down the shore. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're going down the shore. So I was preaching down the shore and staying, as we do every summer, in the house provided for the preacher right next door to the chapel where I was to preach. Lovely place. It's an old shore house, and it has one of those thin driveways that barely fits the width of a car. Well, on this particular week, the first of the two weeks I was staying, the folks next door on the other side of the house had a lot of people staying there, and their little driveway was not big enough to hold all the cars of those staying, so they parked on the street in front of the house, their own house, but also in front of the house where we were staying. So far, so good. But as it turns out, they had so many people staying there, not to mention people stopping by to visit, that their attempts to squeeze their cars onto the street meant that invariably they parked encroaching onto the entrance to my driveway. Not much, but, but since it was a thin driveway to begin with, not much felt like a lot. 
I could still get my car through, but I had to be a little bit more careful, especially when I was backing up. Well, this went on all week, and I grew kind of tired of it, and I got a little perturbed. And every time I came and went, I muttered under my breath not such nice things about my neighbor. I didn't say anything to to them about it. I just, you know, churned and stewed. Sunday came at the little chapel, and I preached, and after the service was over, I was greeting folks as they came out the door, and two gentlemen came through the line and introduced themselves. We'll call them Bob and Bill. And Bob and Bill say to me, hey, we're staying at the house next door to yours. Ha <laughs> ha. The culprits, the, in, the insensitive parkers, the objects of my mutterings. I grin back to them, a plastic grin. Bob and Bill proceed to say that their sister is the owner of the house. And, and I bet you've been seeing a lot of people coming and going. You bet I've been seeing people coming and going and parking. Well, we just want you to know that our sister is near death. She's under hospice care, and we were wondering if you would just pray for her and pray for her family. I'm guessing my face turned a whiter shade of pale. My brain was not quick enough to come up with all the appropriate pastoral things to say, except to say, uh, well, of course, I'll pray for your sister, and and then to offer to visit her, and, and of course, to invite them to park as many cars as they wished in my driveway. The offer to visit was kindly declined, the driveway never used, and instead, each day, my mutterings by God's grace, became prayers. I was worried about this much. They were worried about that much. Strange, isn't it, how the world can look sometimes when the world is really a whole lot different than what you can imagine. It makes me think of another one of those humbling moments in my life, which took place during one of the summer breaks I had during seminary. Amanda and I had just gotten married, and I was joining her in Washington, D.C., where she was living. The objective for the summer was to make money. I was to make money. We were rubbing not even a couple nickels together, so a good summer job was on the top of the priority list. Good news, I had lined up a good-paying job working construction. Bad news, when I arrived, I was informed that the job was no longer available. Oh, dear. So I spent the next couple of weeks desperately searching for a job in which I could make money for the beginnings of our married life. I struck out at every turn. And then I was told of an inner city ministry in Washington, D.C. that might need some help. Turned out they did. And, and, and the salary was zero. <laughs> we need you, but we can't pay you. Super. This ministry was called Emmaus Services for the Aging, named after the story in Luke when the two followers of Jesus are walking to Emmaus and they end up walking with Jesus, but they don't know it. The job that they were offering me was to walk, that's it, to walk the streets of the red light district off of Thomas Circle and befriend the elderly who had fallen through the safety net. It's all I was supposed to do, walk and talk and help people find help. 
The premise was that the more we walked with these struggling people, the more we walked with Jesus. Well, that's all well and good, but <laughs> show me the money. And just as I was getting ready to cross them off my list, a nudge came from a friend of mine, a good friend, who said, Steve, you think you need a paycheck, but I'm wondering with the life you've lived, that pretty sheltered life of yours, if maybe what you really need is this. In other words, you think you need this much, but maybe what you really need is this much. As it turned out, I did need them more than they needed me, so I said yes, and for three months, I walked up and down the streets of a 20-block neighborhood and walked into the kinds of places into which I had never walked before, tenements, flop houses. I walked with people I never walked with before. I heard stories I had never heard before. I learned things about the world I had never known before. I was walking, I suppose, on that road to Emmaus, and Jesus kept appearing. I was worried about this much. And I discovered that my new friends all were worried about this much. One of the interesting things about this faith of ours is that it seems to have so much to do with walking. In the first chapter of the Bible, we hear the story of God walking through the Garden of Eden, and God is looking for the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, and you can only imagine that he would just love to take a walk with them. But the man and the woman hide. They don't want to walk with God. A few pages later, we read, as we just did, about the man named Enoch, father of Methuselah, Methuselah, who turned out to be the oldest living Bible character, and the Genesis writer tells us that Enoch simply walked with God. That's it. Enoch walked with God. And it appears to have been enough because the writer simply says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him. Makes me think of the story of the Sunday school student who came home from church after learning about Enoch and his walking with God and how God took him, and she explained to her mother that Enoch and God were always taking walks. And one day they went so far, God said to Enoch, Enoch, why don't you just stay at my house tonight? It seems that God just really wants us to walk with him. So when Jesus makes his appearance in the Gospels, it's not long before he steps up to some men and women and he says to them, would you care to take a walk with me? Follow me is the Cliff Notes version. But really what Jesus wants is for the men and women to walk with them as he makes his way across the Palestinian countryside, moving from town to town, village to village. I suppose Jesus could have stayed planted right where he was, in Nazareth or down in Jerusalem, taught in the local synagogue and never ventured out to see the world and all the people who inhabit it. But he doesn't. 
Jesus is on his feet walking, and he'd love to have some folks join him. And oh, what these folks turn out to be learning. From town to town, they hear Jesus teach. They see Jesus interact with people. They learn what makes Jesus tick. They learn what makes Jesus sad. They learn what makes Jesus angry. They learn what breaks Jesus' heart. And they watch Jesus laugh, and they watch Jesus cry, and they watch Jesus touch the untouchables, and they follow Jesus into regions unknown. One time, in fact, Jesus takes them even beyond the borders of Israel to Gentile land where no good, would ever, no good Jew would ever be caught dead. And because Jesus has dared to walk, and because these men and women have dared to walk with him, they are now outside all of their comfort zones, and they get now to see Jesus being confronted by this foreign mother begging for her daughter to be made well. And Jesus says, no. I only have this much. I'm only here for my own people. And then the mother says, oh, I bet, I bet you have more. And Jesus feels the nudge and says, well, maybe I do. Maybe I have this much. And the mother's son is made well. And Jesus would never have known how much he had had he not first taken the walk. You see, there are, there are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of things that happen when you start walking with God. God is bound to take us where we've never been. God is bound to introduce us to people we've never met. God is bound to teach us something we've never known before. And when you go to places you've never been and get introduced to people you've never met and get taught things you've never known before, then all of a sudden your world goes from this to that. Your, your, your worries about yourself go from this to now your worries about others going to that. Your understanding of God going from this and then going to that. And so when the prophet Micah puts it all on the line and dares to ask the question, what does the Lord require of you? And considers all the good and pious things, you know, to go to church, to pray, read your Bible. Micah goes beyond all those answers and says, oh, what does the Lord require of you? Oh, to walk, to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God, which I suppose is the poetic way of putting it, but the truth is it all starts with the walking. You have to start walking humbly with God. We have to start going where God wants to go. We have to start talking to the people God wants to talk to. We have to start going where God goes we have to start listening to what God is saying. We have to humbly say, where you lead, I will follow. Because it is the walking with God that does what? It takes us then to the kindness, right? It takes us to the kindness. It's the walking with God that helps us to see who God sees, helps us to learn what is gone God's heart, helps us to discover really what's happening on the other side of that fence. And maybe it makes us less worried about our little this and more worried about the that. 
And it's the kindness then that gets us to the justice. It's the kindness that pricks our heart and says, what can be done to those to whom life has dealt a bad hand? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? Oh, but to begin with, walk. Remember the story of Walt Whitman who during the early days of the Civil War was lost and wandering and deeply despairing. He was living a life of emptiness in New York and in his poetic search for meaning was coming up empty. But then came the word that his brother had been wounded in the war. So he went to claim his brother in an army field hospital and when he saw the wounds and the pain of all the soldiers in that little field hospital, he knew that that's where he was supposed to be. He had to stay and take care of them. Day by day, he would bring his little sack of humble gifts, fruit, candy, clothing, tobacco, books, magazines, pencil and paper, all for the purposes of coming alongside the suffering of his fellow human beings and to bring a little encouragement and cheer. He wasn't a doctor, he wasn't a nurse, he wasn't a medic. He thought he only had this much, except that he had taken his walk with God, and that was enough. Whitman later wrote, I do not ask the wounded person now how he feels. I myself become the wounded person. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? love kindness and walk humbly with your God on this kickoff Sunday that's the play do justice love kindness and walk humbly with your God head heart hands the whole thing next door in the Palm Center can be if you want it to be your first step your first step in the humble walk that may take you over the fence or down the street or halfway around the world or maybe inside your own heart. Wherever God might want to take you so that you may go from this much to that much.